1: Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm interviewing a new friend. Actually, he shouldn't be such a new friend because I knew his mother and father uh, about 100 years ago when I was starting out. Bob Green got out of the Navy, found the Lord somehow, stumbled into our church, and we became really good friends. And, and then this really cute girl shows up in church, and he wins her heart. She ends up being my secretary. I think I was about 27 years old. She was probably 19. Wow. Uh, we were in a little tiny building. We threw up plywood partitions, so we have some sense of separation offices. <laughs> Out of that relationship comes Parker Green, their son. <laughs> and we only met just a couple of months ago. And what he's doing is really, really important. I think it's the future of the church. Parker, I'd like for you to kind of just give us an overview of the ministry. Then I'm going to ask you a little bit about uh, your history. So you travel around a little bit to get to where you are in Huntington Beach? And then after that, we'll, we'll dig a little bit deeper, because I think there's some issues that people are struggling with. You've got some answers. Give us the elevator speech. Give us the overview. Sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, Salt Churches uh, is the ministry my wife and I founded together. It's about four years ago, and it's a network of micro churches that continue to multiply disciples, see people saved. And out of that, um, we see new, church- new churches birthed and new churches growing out of that, and new churches started. We train and equip people to start micro churches in their own homes, apartments, coffee shops, wherever they can meet. But our main focus is seeing people saved and discipled, and usually you end up with a church at the back end of that.
1: One of the problems that people have that are trying to do what you do is uh, whether or not they should meet together corporately, gather everybody up. And your plans are a little different because a lot of people are kind of shooting for eventually we'll do this every Sunday, then we'll be microchurch during the week. You're going in the opposite direction. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, I just, um, looking at my generation and Gen Z, so I'm an elder millennial, I guess at this point, I'm 33, Um, looking at Gen Z, following up, the real pulse is a lack of family, lack of family order, lack of fathers, lack of training and basic skills. I mean, some of the kids in our church, I call them kids now, but they're in their 20s. Like we're teaching them how to like make pasta, how to take care of things around the house, how to manage your finances. Like that's where discipleship is going for us. So, when you look at it like that, you can't really necess- you can get good principles from the pulpit. Um, and I think we should. Uh, the gospel should be preached until Jesus comes back and then preach for fun after that. But I think the reality is like we need fathers. We need family. And when you have a tribal size of 15 to 20 people, that's where real discipleship happens. I mean, you can't think of maybe the last five or six messages you've heard offhand, but I guarantee you, you can think of the five or six people that have impacted your life for better or for worse in half a second. So that's what we're really aiming for. So we're aiming for that smaller so that we can get bigger. We're not against big. We want to take over. We want to do it in a way that's nimble, flexible, and uh, provides that that family model.
1: So with the emphasis on the family model, then you guys are are currently meeting like once a month as a as a gathered group, large yeah. gathered group, but you're actually aiming for once a quarter, where others are trying to ramp it up to once a week, you're trying to de-escalate it. Tell us why.
0: Um, I I don't want the pressure. <laughs> I think part of it's selfish for me. I'm a natural um, laissez-faire type leader. So My natural tendency is to give things away, and I don't think that's most people's natural tendency. So my natural tendency is to say, no, you have personal responsibility for this church. You have ownership over this church. It's your church. If you switch the name at some point from SALT, that's fine. You won't have our covering, but like, go for it. You know what I mean? If that's what you're called to do. So I'm aiming for that because I think it just works better when people take ownership of their own household. It's kicking people out of the house and giving them room to breathe especially for high caliber leaders. At some point, high caliber leaders get stuck in a legacy church model and they need to—they need their own house. And that's a natural part of growing up, spiritually and physically. That's
1: great. And I one little thing that just comes to my mind is I do a lot internationally. and In some countries, you can't rent a building on an every week basis. There are churches in Japan that do meet every week, but they have to rotate. One church I know rotates between five different buildings because nobody will rent to them consistently. If you're meeting every three months, it's, it's a snap to find a building, and then right. you got the houses and the coffee shops and the bars or whatever yep. else you're doing.
0: And it's just a fun family reunion. That's what we're aiming for, just a party once every every once in a while and really celebrate what God has done in our
1: microchurch now. That's really great. Tell us how, I mean, you, you got quite a long journey. You, you went from <laughs> Washington state, all around yeah. the world. Tell us how you got to where you are. So I grew up in
0: Spokane, Washington. Um, for those of you that don't know where that is, it's about half an hour from the border of Idaho on the east side of the state. So people are like, oh, it rains so much. And it's very dry, wheat growing and dry pine forests. We lived in a river valley, beautiful spot. Ended up moving back down to California, or my parents ended up moving back down to California my senior year of high school. Um, went to Los Alamitos High School, um, just outside Seal Beach, California, and uh, was there for a year and then got, got accepted into Long Beach State, got a scholarship to Long Beach State, all paid for with a few extra grand per semester, and ended up handing that check back, feeling called to um, move to Australia and study the Bible in Australia at Hillsong College, and mostly i mean the experience was the important part there i got my hands on youth ministry there for the first time um like clean and poop off walls level ministry okay. so <laughs> It was awesome. And you can't ask for a better experience for an 18 to 21 year old than living on a beach in Sydney, Australia. Oh yeah, (laughs) nice. (laughs) So that was amazing. Moved back, helped a church out out here called Newport Church and just did youth ministry there. Kind of just lived like a bachelor for a while. Then my brother-in-law, who was at Hillsong, and the youth pastor there had moved to New York City, started a church called Liberty, and invited me over to be a campus pastor. And so it was another amazing opportunity to live in a global city. That was kind of the first thing that caught my eye. And to just be discipled in in ministry and be led in ministry in a place where everyone was saying it's the toughest place to do ministry, and that's what made me excited about it. Yeah, but, one
1: exciting thing about New York is it seems like the Lord is bringing all kind of people there. I know of probably a dozen church planters that I personally know uh, that have only been there for less than five years. God is up to something in these big cities, and that's exciting. So you went from there to Huntington Beach?
0: Yeah, so we went from New York. I, I fasted for 21 days at the beginning of 2016 because we were taking over another campus. We were running the men's ministry, and my wife was leading the worship ministry um, and running the campuses with me, and we, we had a baby on the way. So I was just kind of hitting the panic button. Man. Mike, I think if I can starve myself for 21 days, then I can do anything. <laughs> so, so, so I did that. And then God, about a week and a half in about day 10 is usually when stuff starts to hit in that the Lord would just not leave me alone about Southern California. I would just gotten a significant raise. I would just gotten health insurance. My wife's business was flourishing. We had more money. At that point, like I paid all my bills at the end of the month, and I had money left over, and that was the first time that ever happened to me in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, what am I going to do with this two or three grand at the end of this month? And then God's like, time to move. <laughs> wow. So a few months later, we went through the process, and we got sent off really well by our church there. Obviously, sad to see each other go, and really loved working together, but it was time to go and i was just dissatisfied with preaching and being what i felt like was an event coordinator at the time and and just getting kind of stalled out so the lord asked us to go out and start micro churches which that's a journey in and of itself which was a pursuit of discipleship for me it was like how do we best make disciples you know if the master comes to your restaurant and asks for steak you give him steak you don't give him the best spaghetti in town so we we're just aiming for steak
1: uh, a lot of people are, you know, they like to say we want to be dis- descriptive, not prescriptive. I think there's a point for us saying, well, this is how it works. And a lot of people were forced to do Zoom groups and, and actually to generate some micro churches sometimes in this, inside of a legacy church. Some are actually planting churches digitally, and that's pretty exciting. What it's done is it's, it's caused a lot of people to take another look at the way that we make disciples. And so now there's a lot of questions. So give us some nuts and bolts. Tell us, I mean, all the way down to how you guys handle money. Tell us a lot.
0: Sure. Yeah, I'll I'll start start with how we do our basic unit of discipleship. So we call them fire teams, but it's three to four three to three to five people, male or female, that meet together on a weekly basis. And we walk through something that's called the compass rose um, in every single meeting. On the north end of the compass rose um, would be the word and the spirit. So what are you reading in the Bible this week and what's the Holy Spirit telling you about it? And this is a really simple, quick and dirty version. On the west side of that would be accountability. So the Lord is asking you to do something. So what what are you doing about it? Are you continuing to obey him? And then the southern end of that compass rose would be caring for one another, love. We draw like a little heart down there. How's everything going? You don't say, hey, would you read in the Bible this week if someone's like, mom just passed away? Like that's what you do with yeah.
1: spot.
0: <laughs> on the east side is go. So we go out and practice a spiritual gift together. We practice evangelizing. We practice meditation or solitude and silence or some kind of spiritual discipline that we um, incorporate in our discipleship. And we do that every single time we get together. So it's a really simple tool that came from boiling discipleship down. We're like, what is it? Like, what are we trying to make here? And I think that was the biggest thing, because a lot of times people are like, let's make disciples. And and, what is that? (laughs) What what is a disciple? There's a lot of different views on what that might be. So for us, uh, the goal of discipleship is intimacy with Christ and obedience to him. Success in discipleship is someone getting nearer to Jesus and therefore obeying what he asked them to do. And that's where the compass rose kind of came from. We could boil it down to that because what we watched in Jesus' life was obey me, was the the first thing he was asking. So that's how we in a unit way, make disciples like in a very basic way. But discipleship is everything. It's a life. So we like, I have an open fridge policy. My door is always open. We have two disciples during the lockdown that are living in a trailer in the front of my house. Like it's a full-time gig. It's raising spiritual children. And I think that commitment can only spread to three or four people in real life. So that's why we keep the units at about that size. It's really inspired by the effectiveness of the Marine Corps and the fire teams in the Marine Corps and people that ate together, slept in the same bunks, Live together would die for each other. Um, that was the aim—the aim of that in general. So that's kind of the the nuts and bolts of what we do, and that'll be a perfect kind of ramp up plan out of this too. Start meeting in threes and fives first. So
1: that's exciting. That's kind of really where I think the church is going to have to go. Is I mean, there's a whole half dozen reasons why we're going to have to change. Money is an issue for a lot of people. I I got a friend in. Uh, he started a micro church in Las Vegas, and then he his life took him to Reno. And for a while, he was running both using Zoom. But money was an issue, and we tried to help him out. He came from our church. Uh, we tried to help him get together a 501c3. He was hesitant to do that. He said, everybody's so raw, I wouldn't trust anybody to be the treasurer of the 501c3. Couldn't really figure out. And so I bumped in a lot of people that are really looking to build an, a network of microchurches rather than a, a legacy church with my right. church as an afterthought. But they always get caught on money. So kind of give us a little bit of the mechanics of, of how you handle that, because it's a problem if you don't handle it right.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think money is, is a sticking point for a lot of people. And, and coming into this next season, it will be even more like, how do we navigate this when you're pastoring people technically or you're covering for people you never see? Why are you getting paid by them? I think that's the question a lot of people ask. I think there's biblical precedent for getting paid that way, but we'll start at the top. We started a regular 501c3, and it's been amazing that having that available is a, is a financial benefit to any leader or a pastor that wants to start a start one and get people that you trust even outside your organization on your board. Um, it doesn't have to be people inside your church right off the bat. In fact, it probably shouldn't be people inside your church right off the bat because you don't know them. So we, we had a board outside of people that we trusted that have been in ministry 20 plus years and hadn't had any major fallouts or been embezzling money or any fun things like that, So we, we, which is more common <laughs> than we think. So, so bringing those people on board right off the bat to guide the process. And the 501c3 is actually pretty easy for us. Um, we used an organization called Start Church. They're so good at it. It's what they do. They send you stuff to fill out. You send it back. They take care of it. They lawyer the whole thing for you. And that protected us right off the bat. And that protected our family and my family because churches do get sued. So protecting your family right off the bat and then housing allowance as well. I mean, you're going to save a bunch of money being able to write off your house and everything you spend in your house t- for the most part um, with housing allowance. So there's no reason, I don't think, if you're in ministry or aiming towards full-time ministry to not have a 501c3 or seek at least seek a 501c3's covering if you don't want to start one yourself. Um, I think that's that's foolish until they they may or may not remove those types of rights from us, but until then, use it. <laughs> Leverage that's it. Right. That's
1: <laughs> right. Take it as far as it'll go.
0: As far as our personal income, um, we do accept tithes and offerings from every single church and it goes into one big account. That may change in the future. It goes into one big account, but we're showing them what we're doing. We're casting vision. We're planting, we're training four brand new planters this week across the country and locally, and we're training our current elders, that's what we call the leaders of our micro churches, to plant churches themselves. So that money goes into either starting those new churches or Administration for our website and things like that, for training materials, or sending a lot of money, which we have the opportunity to do, to other church planters, disciple makers, and widows and orphans. Money is really important. We have to have it and we have to use it. So it's best that we use it as a tool and leverage it to its its max. And how we personally make an income, and I know that's a question that will come up, is we raise money like missionaries, uh, like we're going to a foreign country. because. If you're a believer, you are a foreigner. <laughs> you're not a you're not first American. You're first you're first a kingdom person. Um, you belong to Christ, so you're a stranger in a strange land. Um, and if you're looking at the trends in the United States right now, even more so, it's post Christians. And to pitch it that way is really important if if you're a leader or pastor. It's like I'm a missionary here. Look at how many people are not saved. Look at the need. Just in Orange County, it's 3.3 million people in Orange County, and we're looking at um, you know, over 1.5 that don't know the Lord.
1: And Orange um, County is actually uh, a hot spot for Christianity. If right. You come to where I live in San Diego County, just a few miles away, uh, about four percent of the people, or three percent of the people, go to church. About six percent of the people call themselves Christians of any kind. Right. One of my friends pointed out that we're no longer in a post-Christian society. It's now rolled over to where you'd have to consider it a pre-Christian society in a lot of places. Because yeah. of people who've grown up with no understanding at all of the gospel.
0: It's so refreshing to disciple those people, to be honest.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's the best. It's easier. It's much yeah. easier.
0: Because you're forming the whole context. Yeah. They don't know anything and they know that.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's helpful.
1: <laughs> so this is good. I don't want to fill your inbox, but give us some kind of links, some ways that people could contact you if they have questions if there's literature that you have uh, some things sure. that I can put in the in the show notes here but just whatever we can do to to expand your footprint in the lives of people across the country and then I have one last question for you sure
0: so number 1 uh, you can find our website it's just salt churches that's plural saltchurches.com okay. really easy way to find us i have an instagram called microchurch microchurches, um, at microchurches. That's our Instagram. We have a podcast. You can find all that stuff on the website. Everything's on the website.
1: Great. You know, you referenced that you're training people across the country, and I seldom ask about numbers, but I'd like to know how many microchurches there are, and and where sure. you're at. What where, where does the where, where does this thing extend to?
0: Yeah. So we have four churches right now. We're looking at four more um, by the end of next month, and then we have two in Orange County, one in Colorado Springs. We have one in Chicago as well, and coming up, we've got Florida, Arizona, and most likely Costa Rica um by the end of next month.
1: So That's exciting. It's really exciting to me to hear startup churches that are doing things in other countries. When we planted churches, we weren't doing micro church. The churches that I planted over the years, but um Every, everybody that went out the door, went out the door praying, God, give me contact in another country. And yeah. that's what we did. We didn't strategize it. We prayed it. We just right. asked the Lord to give it to us and he gave it to us. Yeah. That's amazing. That's the well, way sometimes I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just want to say thanks for taking time to be with us. And I'm going to ask you to come back and do this again, probably two or three too. months from now. This is really good. Thank you, Parker.
0: If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at RalphMore.net.